Thank you for joining the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast with your host, Clayton Craddock. the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My name is Clayton Craddock, and today my guest is Paul Pizzuti. I've been trying to get him on this podcast for many, many months now, and I finally got him. We had a really great conversation. He has so many stories to tell, and I'm glad he shared them with me. Paul has done so many musicals over the years, it's hard to list them all, but just to give you a little taste, he's done Merrily We Roll Along, Cats, Assassins, Crazy For You, Big, Kiss Me Kate, How To Succeed In Business Without Really Trying, and many, many, many others. Ladies and gentlemen, Paul Pizzuti. Welcome to the Broadway Drumming 101 podcast. My guest today is the legendary Paul Pizzuti. I, you know, I don't even need to have an intro because there's so much that you're going to learn today on this podcast brought to you by the Oracle himself. (laughs) (laughs) Look, man, I've been trying to, I've been trying to get this guy on my podcast for like 17 years and I finally got him on today. So I'm not going to let him go. All right, Paul, you know, the reason why, the reason why I reached out to you is because I used to subscribe to Modern Drummer Magazine for decades, and I had this issue that I kept for some reason. I don't know why. It's like one of the five that I kept, but it was June, I think, of 1981, and it had the Broadway Broadway Drummer's Roundtable, and it had you, John Redsecker, Dorian McGee, and Mike Epstein, correct? Yes. And I was like, man, why isn't anyone doing that? In 2021, it's man, 40 years later. I was about to say it's 20 It's definitely years. a viable part of the business, Broadway, yes. you know, or, or a desired part of the business. Whereas in the past, I would not say it was, you know, thought of lightly or not seriously. It was a, it was a job. It was a gig, you know, and it was, uh, you know, I mean, there are obviously people interested you for example this is a very 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 interesting uh uh uh, endeavor that you've you know started here and it's a lot of drummers want this to be part of their business model i don't know exactly how to put it i mean it's 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 certainly interesting in hearing people say i want to play for a broadway show that's my goal Yes. Like, yes. Oh, okay. I know. I, I I didn't think too much of that until I started playing for Ain't Too Proud and I got so many requests to uh come and watch me play the show and mm-hmm. uh and try to figure out, you know, how to get into the business. I'm like, man, there's so many young people that want to do this and it's one of the reasons why I have this podcast is to give back and, and help people right. figure out what to do and what not to do. But again, I started back, excuse me, with the 1981 issue 40 years ago when I was right. very young learning how to play. And I didn't really think anything about Broadway. I wanted to be a rock star. I still do. But mm-hmm. I, I, unfortunately, I'm not going to because my hair isn't long and I'm old and I'm a father and you know I can't do that. Plus, I have this gig. Even though well, look at the st- look at the stones. I mean, they're all their father. They do have hair though, but yes, for whatever reason they have, that's another. That's you know, who, else, you know, you know. I can't I can't take Steve Jordan's spot. I, you know who I'd like to play with? This is going out in the, in the universe, right? If I can play with Lenny Kravitz, just, Lenny, oh. Lenny, just yeah. call me. Yeah. 
Cindy Blackman, who yeah. Cindy Blackman Santana now, but she yes. was his drummer for quite a while, wasn't That's she? That's correct. Can Cindy yeah. just take a break? Can I just play with him for like a week? Can I get it just a week? That's all I want. <laughs> but anyway, speak, I, yeah, I didn't think about Broadway right. until I, I fell into it. But look, you've been doing it for decades, decades. And I want to find out how you got started. What was your first show? Now, look, before we go, before we go on, right. Paul has done so many shows. I mean, the list, I'm going to just read a couple. Tell me if I'm wrong. Okay. Merrily, We Roll Along, 1982. Yes. A Stephen Sondheim Evening. I don't know if that's a Broadway show or if that was a special. I'm not sure what that was. I don't know. Cats. You were the original drummer and the original cat. <laughs> yes. When I found that yeah. out, I was like, whoa. Bill Lanham, when I, I, he, I met him recently, like a year or two ago, and he said, I followed you in the drummer in the two shows that you did. And I said, what? Cats and Evita, the revival of Evita. Oh, I, I done right. prior to Cats, prior to Merrily, I did Evita. The first Avita with Patty Lapone and Mandy Patinkin and Bob Gunton uh, and you know, just 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 to throw it out there. Uh, Assassins, crazy for you, big. Uh, yeah. Into the woods, uh, merrily we roll along. I said that before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kiss me, Kate. Mm. Both Kiss and, me, Kate's the one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there was a revival that was just done. And many, many more, and we'll we'll go into that. But man, when I found yeah. out you did the original Cats, because I was subbing, <laughs> I was subbing for Bill. I'm sorry for laughing. It's just, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. subbing for Bill, mm-hmm. and people have told me about Cats, and I didn't understand anything about it. And I saw it in the audience. I was like, "What the fuck is this? How did this last for so fucking long?" And then I played it was the a music. Big deal. It was a big deal back then, in '82. Man, and I, then I, I, I played the music and I understand why it was uh, it, it, it caught on because the music some for some reason, Andrew Lloyd Webber knows how to write a song that gets people to sing these songs over and over again and remember them. And yes, yes, yeah. And, and he, melodic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, yeah. I get it. I still don't understand the show even after seeing the movie, but we'll discuss the origins of that. <laughs> but look, man. Do you if, remember the video? There was a video of a, of a guy saying how to play in 13-8. Yes, yes. yes. <laughs> and then at the end, fuck, don't play this shit. <laughs> You're not going to get paid if you play in 13-8. I don't know why that comes to mind. I'm thinking, what is it, 15-8? The Skimble Shanks was the team in that. And, you know, in Evita, he did the money gets come yes. rolling in in 7. seven and it's eight. like, why yeah. are you doing this? It's like, okay, it kind of works, but... Uh, you know, I mean, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm just a drummer. I, yeah. I don't know. Hey, you he's, know. Making, he's making the money and we're playing. As, <laughs> as someone has <laughs> said, and Andy, Andrew Lloyd Webber has been very, very good to me. <laughs> uh, you know, he, you know, seven years, man. Ron Tierno took over for me. Drum, great drummer. Mm. He did the remaining 11 years. Wow. Yeah, so he's someone you should talk to. Wow. Ron Tierno. Ron Tierno's been around, you know, a long time. Great drum, great musician. All right, speaking of being around, yeah, we're going to go yeah. back to the beginning. Sure. You were born where? I was born in Jersey City, New Jersey, across oh. the River Hudson, across from the Golden Towers of Manhattan. <laughs> And before they were golden, before they were golden. And when you were uh, growing up, did you say, you know what, when I get older, I'm going to work on Broadway. This is what I want to do for a living. How, you know, you're reading my mind incorrectly, <laughs> but you're reading my mind. No, I did not. Uh, I did not think of any. I had no career goals, per se. I started taking drum lessons when I was around 11. My mother asked my brother and I, do you guys want to play? You know, do you want to take lessons? And I, I think I've been, you know, pounding on pots or something. I don't remember exactly. But I, I, she asked if we want to take lessons. And my brother said guitar and I said drums. 
And we started taking lessons at the Sansone School of Music, Vito Sansone in Jersey City, in Journal Square, which is a big hub uh, in in, uh, the Journal Square area where the path trains were, a lot of bus stops, station, a lot of stores, big, you know, a lot lot of department stores and such when I was growing up, uh, restaurants. And he was located above the Jade Fountain Restaurant, which was a Chinese restaurant up there and uh we started taking lessons and he actually had a recital at cammy i think it was cammy hall which is right across from uh carnegie hall i remember as a kid playing you know no big deal just like we studied with him for a few years and then i went in high school and a guy I knew in my freshman class was a trumpet player, I think. He uh, got me involved with a, a guitarist and an organist. I actually, I don't know how my drums were transported to this church. And we started playing. And eventually that, you know, it was just fun to play. You know, I guess I guess I played well enough where it wasn't horrible you know i could keep time and i guess it was songs in my head from listening to the uh you know i mean the the first the the first song i remember that really made me want to be a drummer also was sunshine of your love Mm. i remember just hearing that on a radio one morning one sunday morning probably had the radio on and just that those the toms the sound of the drums (laughs) no never never played any cream i wasn't any bands that played cream but uh, just that was uh, pretty amazing. So this trumpet player is actually he's he's starting in a band or he's in a band where it's uh, I think it was him, another trumpet player, and a trombonist and rhythm section, and they were starting to do some Chicago and different, you know, blood, sweat and tears, uh, different things like that. And I replaced some drummer that they, they, uh, you know, either didn't show up for rehearsals when he was an older guy. This is all like 14, 15 year olds, you know, and that started my, uh, that, that was the beginning of the end, Clayton. That started my <laughs> musical career. <laughs> So you started, were you playing around Jersey City? Yeah, played dances, played dances around Jersey City, a little bit around Union City, you know, this area. And we eventually expanded to, I guess it was like, you know, it was like a nine-piece band at one point. Do you remember how much you guys got paid? Were you doing this for fun or was it like... Oh, no, no, no. No, it was not fun. I mean, no, I take that back. (laughs) It was 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 definitely fun, but we got paid. I mean, I don't remember. It was not, uh, you know, 20 bucks a a man, a person, whatever, Mm -hmm. you know. uh, uh, It was definitely more money than my mother, who was a widow, could give me in a, you know, an allowance. Mm. So, you know, I always had a little bit of money there once once i started playing you know i mean I, I don't think we played every weekend i don't remember i think i've blacked out or blocked out part of my life back then but i do remember we worked quite a bit you know i mean it wasn't like you know traveling not a big show band kind of thing but you know as a matter of fact the bass player from the band i mean i'm still in touch with many most of these people and he posted a poster from 50 years ago of a dance we did. Do you remember that dance? Uh, I remember the place. There was, it was Our Lady of Mercy, Catholic <laughs> school, Catholic high school, Catholic high school, yeah, down in Jersey City, a portion of Jersey, section of Jersey City. And I can't remember the, 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 the priest who ran the dances was like a, a, a curmudgeon and a drill sergeant. That's all I remember. It was like, you can't do this, you can't do that. It was, it was very, it was it was very funny, but we played had big hall, and usually there were two bands, one at each end of the hall, and wow. they split sets. You know, did you did you play a lot in high school? I, I played a lot in high school. 
And that got me, you know, uh, to when senior year came around, it was like, well, I, I think I want to go to a music school. Now, I'm just a drummer. I had no mallet training, no nothing, no, no. So, I mean, Manus or Manhattan or Juilliard was kind of like not in the picture, you know, mm-hmm. at that point. But there was a local college, uh, which is now called New Jersey City University, I think it's called. It was Jersey City State College. That's what it was when I went to it. And I auditioned and I just played some studies from a Haskell W. Har book that I learned that I'd learned from Vito Sansone when I went to the Sansone School of Music. But he's (laughs) dead now, so I'm not pushing the Sansone School of Music. and uh, Nick Serato was the, the professor. For whatever reason, he said, you know, the, the audition got me into school. Now, mm. that's, I guess it was fall or spring of the year before I went in, before the semester started. And I said, I'm going to have to, you know, he didn't tell me you got to do this, this, and this to, to, to get, you know, to be ready freshman year. But I had a friend who he traveled in the circle, the band circles. I mean, we, I, I, this Jersey city band, we were, we had a lot of people from Bayonne were in our band, this whole area of Jersey city. There was two guys, two drummers that were, were working a lot. One was, I think his name, I I think his last name was Clem Bazuski, who became Clem Burke. Oh yeah. Blondie. Blondie, yes. Yeah. And another guy named Phil Ramon, who uh, uh, not not related to not not related to the to the Ramon. He was into Zappa, tremendously into Zappa. He was doing his Morris, uh, you know, four way coordination books. I mean, he had to be 17 or 18. He had all this shit down, all a lot of stuff down. And he was auditioning to get into Madness with the eventual like goal of playing with Zappa. I don't think that ever happened, but, mm. and we've kind of, we've lost touch, but he gave me a couple of, he loaned me a small three octave xylophone and just taught me some scales so that I could practice scales. And I guess I saw the pattern and I was able to, you know, and I, I guess read a little bit to learn something of melody and harmony, you know, very little. And he gave me an Anthony Cerrone book, Portraits in Rhythm, that uh, he went through with me. So when I went back to college, when I started, you know, in my first lesson with Nick, and he says, oh, so what have, what have you been doing? I mean, he's kind of like, okay, let's see what's going on here. You know, I remember, oh, Haskell W.R., all right, he knows his fives and sevens and nine-stroke rolls, and he knows how to play a flam. Let's see what goes on here. So I said, well, I, I worked through this book, and he said, he's looking at, like, the Portraits and Rhythm book, and he's saying sort of like, oh, really? Because he just saw me doing the Haskell W.R., which, you know, I, I, I'm – it's a simple book. It's a basic book. It gives you good, you know, the, the, to learn. It's great. But that compared to portraits and rhythm is like, you know, what, 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 are, you, what are you doing? This is all odd meter. This is this. It's, you know, a lot, a lot of tempo changes, and, you know, technical problems with it. So he said, OK, well, what, what have you done in here? And I said, well, I went through the whole book. So he said, you know, he was like, OK. So in other words, if I open up to any page in this book, you're going to be able to play it. And foolishly, I said, yeah. And he said, okay. So he just like opens it up. And, you know, I, I can't say I played it perfectly. I guess I fumbled through it. But he saw that I, I understood what was going on. You know, whether it was odd meter or whether whatever, whatever the thing was, portraits and rhythm, you know, so that started. He, he you know, I, I, I just worked really hard and, you know, I did. He was uh, he got me started on Broadway, actually, after oh, really? a couple of years. 
Yeah, I mean, like I did a lot of percussion ensemble, we were doing orchestra stuff. I mean, it wasn't uh, for, for me, it wasn't on the level of, of you know, the, the, the major conservatories. But I mean, it was like this was a whole new world to me, you know, and uh, I mean, I remember my mother was like, you know, I'd be gone from seven o'clock and I lived nearby. I, I lived close enough where I, I stayed, lived at home when I went to the school. And she was like, you know, you're leaving at seven o'clock and coming home at 10 o'clock at, at night. What is going on? She was like worried that I was into drugs or, you know, mm-hmm. she didn't know. And so she came to a, I, I guess the first percussion ensemble recital, the, the, the group. And she and, and Surat, Mr. Serato just like, you know, calmed her down. I mean, she wasn't screaming or anything, but she said she saw that I was not wasting my time. That I was like, you know, it, it, there was a purpose to why I was gone so long, you know. So, and you know, that, okay, so let's see. My, my friend Joe, the trumpet player, he started me on the road to perdition. Nick continued me on the road to perdition. You know, it's been down, I mean, it was downhill from when I was 14. <laughs> so this is just a continuation of that long slide, that long slide. All right, but going, going back to this this time period. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you heard... Sunshine of Your Love on the radio, yeah. Ginger yeah, Baker's yeah. drums pounding in that very unique yeah. form of that song. Tribal, Afri- very African, yes. which I didn't real, I didn't know at that and point. By the yeah. way, speaking of Ginger Baker, did you ever see that documentary on him? Oh, great. <laughs> very, great. very interesting. The, like- the best part I loved was when they had the old like map of the world. And every place he's been, what was first place? That was great. <laughs> Burning bridges. And then at the very beginning, went. when he smacks the guy with yes. his cane and breaks oh. his nose. <laughs> I forgot what it was called, but man, oh man, somebody says Beware you gotta watch of this. Mr. Baker. Yes. Beware of Mr. Baker. <laughs> yeah. And the way he wound up, it's like, man. Well, he still thought he was the greatest drummer in the world until he died. Yeah, exactly. Know? I mean, he was or not the greatest, but the greatest rock drummer or up there with Blakey and, and Max yeah. Roach. And that. But other than speaking of drummers, who did you who yeah. who would you idolize back then? Who would you look up to and say, oh, my God, I don't do that. I liked I, 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 I really like Daniel Serafin from Chicago. And uh, Bobby Columbi from the uh the first Blood, Sweat, and Tears album. Don Brewer from Grand Funk Railroad saw Grand Funk at Fillmore East, which was the best fucking show I ever saw in my life at the really? time. Wow. It, it was this trio. They just like, they, they were a perfect trio, man. You know, they were Better perfect than cream. Trio. I never saw cream. I never okay. saw cream. So, and when I look back, I like cream. And I, I loved that, you know, I, I will never forget that first feeling of hearing those drums and the whole, the, 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 the sound of the guitar and bass, that, that fuzzy. There was just something about Grand Funk that I really enjoyed, that I really, really enjoyed. You know, Emerson Lincoln Palmer, I got, I went to see them two or three times too. I liked Carl Palm a lot. You know, but did you, that, um, that's changed. That's changed over the years. Did you? I was try. never a chops guy. I was never a big like. I loved Buddy Rich, but I didn't understand jazz back then. Mm. And although you know, I'm listening to Blood Sweat Tears, which is a jazz based group. Chicago is more rock, but it's jazz based group. You know, but Buddy was like, you know, he, he was the master. He was like, you know, God, and he he still is. You know. Uh, but you know, not maybe not my cup of tea. But then all I I usually say often, Clayton, like, who am I, man? If he's not my <laughs> cup of tea, who cares that he's not my cup of tea, man? You know, well, I would go pay, if he came back now. I would pay to see him. <laughs> if Elvin came back, yeah, I would pay more to see Elvin. You know, oh really? I saw Elvin once. I saw okay. Elvin once, and. I didn't understand it. I saw him at the Vanguard, the Village Vanguard. Mm. And I guess I was in college. I must have been in college. 
or shortly out of it. And he just did some, you know, he had like the four toms and the, the floor tom was tuned lower than his bass drum. So it was just like, you know, where the fuck are the sounds coming from? I don't know what's going on. And he's doing this thing with triplets between the toms and he had mallets. And mm. I, I just told someone, the other, I, I actually, I, 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 I just, I think when I met you and Bryn, I was going down to the West Bank Cafe afterwards to see Bill Hayes play. I've subbed twice. Ray Marchica's doing, he's, that's, that's his Friday night. That's what he does. I played this Friday night with them as a sub, and I'd done it once before that too. And Chip Jackson is the bass player. Now Chip and Bill played with Liza Minnelli for years, you know, in, in her, her, in her road band, in her band. But he played with Elephant too. Chip Jackson played with Elvin. I mean, I don't know what albums he's on. You know, it's, I mean, he's the second bass player I've worked with that has played with Elvin, which does that to me. You know, kind of like, whoa. Did you ask them about their experience? Oh, he's very verbal. He's very, I didn't have to ask him anything. <laughs> but Neil Kane is the other bass player. Neil plays with Harry Connick's band. And, and, the two shows that Harry Connick has done on Broadway, the pajama game. And he did uh, on a clear day. You can see forever. These two revivals. I, I did those with it. I also worked with Neil in the revival of how to succeed in business. Mm-hmm. Neil played in that too. So Neil is, Neil's great, but Chip, you know, it's like, okay, I'll, I'll do this. You know, it kind of freaked me out to think that I'm going to play with this guy. And uh, this is kind of like a, you know, it's kind of a Gary Burton, Chick Corea, you know, the the tunes are a mix of different things on this Friday night gig. But so I go there and, 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 you know, Chip and he, and he's like, we're we're talking, introduces himself or I introduce myself to him. And like, he's talking about (laughs) all the great drummers he's played with, like he played with Roy Haynes. He's played with it. I don't know if he played with Blakey, you know, Elvin, obviously. And, and, I, I don't know what possessed me to say. And I said, now you're going to play with Paul fucking Pizzuti. <laughs> <laughs> he started laughing and he started yeah. laughing. Uh, and, and we, we played it. And like, you know, whatever reason I, I, you know, I kind of enjoyed myself as my wife said, do you enjoy yourself? And I said, uh, maybe a little. Uh. And at the end of the night, he said, you know, there was, if I, he, he's very, I shouldn't say he points at him, but he's 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 not. He doesn't hold back, you know. She said, "Well, there was one tune where I I I just felt it was a little, you know, off or something like that, or I didn't I didn't like what you were doing." I don't think he put it quite in those words. And I said, "I couldn't figure out what to do in that tune." You're exactly right. And it's just interesting that oh, he heard that. That's mm. very very interesting. You know, out of all the songs over the night, you know. So last night I played with him again, and like he said, you know, I want to show you something. At the end of the night, was he plays a little drums, and it's like that. And he, he said, and he, no, and some he sounded, people would be, and he sounded what? just like Elvin Jones when he sat down. He sounded just like <laughs> Elvin, a white, old, older, still living Elvin. No, he uh, and, and he sat down, and he and he just. Did this thing, I don't know if we did a tune, a Mingus tune, Nostalgia in Times Square or something like that. And he was just, which I didn't know before I started playing. And then it's like, oh, I recognize no. But he did something and, and it was like, I said, yeah, Elvin would do this. And I said, how is he widening that backbeat so much? And it's like, uh, Elvin showed me. Mm. So, so it's weird because he's playing the backbeat, but, and he's playing dang, 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 dang. But the, the two and the four, on the ride symbol are it's more like with the backbeat he's playing a a flam. Hmm. The ride is not on two, it's like a nanosecond before two. Wow. And I, I I still I gotta sit down at a set of drums and like just see if I understand what he was talking about. But I could understand the concept. But he said that's what he was doing. And it took me a while to realize that, oh, 
That's why I'm hearing this wide to and for, you know, amongst everything else that Elvin would play, you know, but this was like, you know, when he's playing the two and four, he said, didn't sound like a two and four, man. It just sounded, it had this really fat feel. The British invasion. Were you watching Ed Sullivan that day when the Beatles were on? And were you like, oh my God, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen. I want to be like Ringo. No, no, but I loved it. This is, I, I didn't feel like it was the greatest thing I'd ever seen because I didn't know, you know, I know it was different. It was really fucking different from the shit that y- you've been hearing. You know, it was different from the Beach Boys. I mean, I was listening to a lot of different radio at that time. But uh, and my my mom had usually W-N-E-W-A-M on, which, excuse me, was basically the great American songbook most of the time. You know, it was all classic, you know, Tony Bennett. Frank Sinatra, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Vic Damone. I mean, all a mix of, of, of most that. And they didn't pay any, play any rock. But WNEW FM, that was the rock station. And I used to listen to them, too. I used to listen to them, too. You know, if I, I think I could get FM on my radio. So it was, uh, it was, it was, it was fun. But the Beatles, I don't remember. I was 10. I was 10. That when when they when they appeared, so I had to see it, but I do not remember it as being life changing. Hmm. You know, but at that point, I was I must have been pounding on pots and pans at that point because it was at eleven mm-hmm. when we started taking lessons. So it was it was definitely there, but I never played any Beatle tunes growing up with any bands. You know. It was immediately, you know, like, you know, Zappo was the, I think the group, I, that group I was in in high school, we did uh, Peaches and Regalia. One oh, of yeah, the, it's a you great know, song. One, but that's the only Zappa tune we did, which is the only Zappa tune that was at least accessible, yes. sort of accessible to a band, you know. Didn't, get, didn't dig Led Zeppelin until after, into the, into the 2000s. Then I started appreciating John Bonham, you know, like mid 2005, 2006, whatever, when I realized what, how many jazz influences he had with his playing, you know, I mean, bombastic, but still, you know, amazing. You know, it's like Mel Lewis, Elvin Jones, R. Blakey, John Bonham, you know, those are some of the people that I really, really, really appreciated and try to try to listen to a little more deeply. But Don Brewer. It's not a name that you hear very often. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, what's his name from uh, Chicago again? Danny Seraphine? Danny Seraphine. He, Seraphine. he was uh, on the first few albums. First, right. I, don't, I don't know when, until it started becoming more of a pop. Pop, yeah. Popish it, thing. Like just, Terry Kath, the guitarist, he died. He yeah. self, some weird self-inflicted, you know, gun thing. Uh, he I was just, great. You know, yeah, I, I just remember hearing God. Vinnie Caliuta talking about how he listened to Danny, and I was like, "Man, he, uh, Vinnie, like looked up to him." I'm like, "Damn, man, let me go back and listen to some of these records." D- Dan Seraphine, he just like, I don't know, man. He he's not the greatest drummer in the world, but he played for that band perfectly, perfectly. You know, I mean, it was Bobby Columbia was more studio. I, I mean, more. He played great too, but it was a, a, a slightly different approach. You know, Seraphine, I, I almost felt like he was just like, I'm going to play anything I want to play. But it's, it went with the melody. He, he accompanied things in the song. He did, and he was time was there. Columbia was cooler, was a little cooler. <laughs> but I mean, there was really great stuff back then. There were bands, you know, they were bands. No, when you graduated from college, did you uh, continue on with the various bands that you were in? Or were you like, uh, did you know exactly what you wanted to do? Or you just wanted to play music and make money doing it? I had no idea what I wanted to do when I was doing it. <laughs> <laughs> I was just trying to get through school and play the stuff that I had to play. The future, as my wife would probably say, you 
you know, you're not a big planner. I didn't have anything planned. Getting into college was like a surprise to me there. I mean, I was a good student academically other than music regarding what happens after college or what my plans were or what my thoughts were. Once again, Nick Serrato. The music department and the theater department are doing a production of Man of La Mancha. Where he says, we're going to do it like like it is on Broadway, which is not true. He said, we're going to audition for the chairs, which is not true at all. You know, I mean, maybe it's truer now than it was, but it, that didn't happen back then, as far as I do. So I got the drum. I mean, there's a there's timpani, mallets and a drum set chair. There's three chairs. And I got the, the drum set chair. And I don't remember the performances, you know, the rehearsals, the performances or whatever. But he said to me that I saw that you knew how to handle a conductor or you knew how to handle a show. So I'm doing Candide. Why don't you come in and look at it? Now, this is the Candide that Harold Prince was directing in the mid 70s. So I came in to see it. Theater in the round. The drums. There's only one chair. There's not a percussion chair. It's just a drummer. It's got a bass drum, snare drum, like a bass, hi-hat, ride cymbal, crash cymbal, whatever. One timpano, I think some bells, and a big gong under the bleachers behind him. Was people are set up, it's like bleachers. They're all set up around the center stage. Okay. And it's piano and bass there and the conductor. The band was in three other sections. And I don't think this is before we're not even talking avions here. This is like I don't think there was any speakers at all connecting the groups. Wow. And this is Bernstein. So I play it and it's it's it, it it's you know, okay, before the show's old, the show's ending. And I'm like, oh, okay, great. And he said, the conductor's gonna start uh, the exit music, but then he's gonna disappear. I said, what do you mean? Well, he wants to get to his car before the crowds get out. Now, the exit music, Clayton, I mean, I don't know it well. I, I'm never a classical person, but it's boom, da 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 boom, da 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 the overture to Candide. So I'm saying boom, da 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 and he's gone. <laughs> and the bands, you know, I mean, it's crazy. The band plays it on its own. And that was my introduction to Paul Gimignani. He was the conductor who disappeared as soon as he could at the very end. That's just funny. like, so he, so I did that. I subbed. And then I actually took over that chair. Nick and uh, Eric Cohen, who were splitting the chair, Eric, who's been one of the percussionists in. Uh, uh, what is the thing with the guy with the mask? Uh, Phantom, Phantom of the Opera. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Since opening, he's been what this, this guy, Rick Cohen, has been in that show playing it. But he and Nick left to do a show called. I'm coming home, Homer, about the Odyssey starring mm. Yul Brenner. Mm. that basically opened and closed. But they left. So I started to I, I finished it with another uh, uh, one of Nick's students, Elizabeth Vakowitz, who I've gotten out of touch with. She was a great percussionist in school. And there were other well, I mean, it, it, it through school. Got, there was a guy, there was a student there who was friends with a drummer named Mike Redding, who passed away in the early 80s, I believe. Mike was doing Godspell on Broadway or off Broadway, which was up at the Promenade Theater, which was in the, in the 70s on Broadway. And I started subbing for him. So now I'm out of college. Candide's closed. I think I'm doing subbing for Mike. They decide to move down to Broadway. Now, this is 77, 70, whatever. The 50% rule was nowhere even in the vicinity 
yet. Mm-hmm. So Mike tells me, listen, I have to, I just told the contractor, I have to take off like 11 times in the first month. So if you want the gig, it's yours. That's how you got the gig? So I did it for about a year and a half on Broadway. I played it for a year and a half on Broadway, you know? Okay. What was the show again? What? Godspell. The original Godspell. Wow. That was with Stephen 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 Schwartz. Stephen Schwartz. Stephen Schwartz. So you were the original I, drummer on Godspell. No, I was not the original drummer. The original on Broadway, I was, but the original drummer who was on the album, there's an album. I think it's Ricky Shutter. His name is. Now, why did he do that? The the album and not you? Well, oh, because I wasn't there at the beginning of the show. The show the show had been running. I w- Mike was playing it after Ricky left. I guess. Oh, okay. Okay. I don't know. You know, Ricky opened it. He did the album. I don't know what his history with the show is, but Mike Mike Redding was doing it, and I subbed for him. And then you and then he started. couldn't do you know he he couldn't live up to the uh, the obligations that the uh, you know the contractor wanted. So I was there. I did that for like a year and a half. Okay, out of the year and a half, do you remember how many times you took off? Oh, accident. Maybe a handful. At that, really? I was there. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, I think I took a vacation, but, but uh, I don't remember exactly. I remember Warren or somebody talking about they would the contractor would tell you when you could take off. Yeah. You know, that was it, it was sort of like that. It was sort of like that. I don't remember. You had subs like Warren would say you had yeah. subs, but they weren't really in very much. No. Fascinating. I remember the I played the show. There was a the big blackout. In New York City. Oh my God, that's right. In '77. Yeah, Ooh, I, man, I, what happened? I, that, I I was there. Yikes! And the band was set up on two platforms on either side of the stage. On one side was the keyboard player, the musical director. He had a piano and an organ up there, and it was guitar, bass, and drums on the other side. Power goes out. Generators come on. It's like. The audience, do you want to leave or do you want to, you know, we can do it acoustically. So I play, I just played congas instead of drum set. The guitarist played acoustic. Really? I think the bass player picked up an acoustic and played that. Yeah. 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 That was so. Yeah, I blocked yeah. that out, Clayton, for so many years. I didn't remember. <laughs> that's, I was that's there. So interesting. Yeah. yeah. The blackout in 77, it turned just like a lot of things can ugly. In, yeah. in those kind of situations. Now, when you walked out of Times Square, 1977, <laughs> you were like, oh, man, let me get back to Jersey. Isn't this nice? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're like, let me get the fuck out of here. A friend of mine, <laughs> uh, an actor who I'd worked at his cabaret act, for some reason, I had the keys to his apartment or he'd given them to me or for something for an emergency, whatever. And I actually had a few friends who had come to see the show that night. And his apartment was on like 43rd Street between 8th and 9th. And we just went to that apartment quietly, as quietly as possible through all the mayhem that was going on. And we stayed there that night. Yeah, so it was, it was a weird night. It was a weird night. But I, I, I don't remember personally being involved in it. There were no situations. You know, we just, you know, even then I know... I knew just keep moving. Right. Just right. keep moving. I have a, Don't I have stop a, and say, wow. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> why are you ripping that grade up? Wow. <laughs> really? Yeah. Yeah. Don't. So just I, I just, I, I keep hearing stories of New York city back in the seventies and eighties. I got here yeah. in 93. Look, it, yeah. it, we, if things don't turn around, we might go back to the seventies and eighties. <laughs> Soon as it was, you know, I don't know when this is going to be released. Hopefully before, our current mayor is gone, but uh, sooner, he, sooner, as soon as the sooner he leaves, the better. But New York City back in the seventies was a, was a mess. But yeah. uh, people came to see Broadway shows. I I just heard stories that people would would come from out of town. That there was a 
a campaign back then called, you know, I Love New York. And, you know, oh, yeah. They had yeah, that yeah. great song. And my mother used to sing it all the time. And we need to go to yeah, New York, yeah. even though we never yeah. did. <laughs> but Frank Langella, Frank Langella, he, wrote on, that? he was in Dracula on Broadway at that time. And the very end of that commercial was like, you know, I love New York. And then it, it, he appears looking at the, you know, in the full cape everything. Mm. And he was a very handsome guy at that point. You know, he's very charismatic, mm. especially in the evening. <laughs> but just perfect. watch out. Just don't perfect. go down Man. Avenue. Bad. Oh, perfect. Yeah, well, you know, watch so, out for bats. <laughs> but I heard that, you know, I don't know how true this is. You can tell me what it was like. It would go to their hotel and then run right. to this show and then yeah. run, run back to the hotel because... <laughs> Times Square was such a mess. I mean, was it really that bad? And people talking about, yeah, people having machetes and you just got to watch out for the pimps and the holes. And- I, 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 maybe from growing up in Jersey City, I just like, I just kept moving. I went where I had to go. I did not see that much main craziness. Although I've been in, you know, the music building down on yeah. uh, between 30 and 30. I've been there since the mid 80s. Mm. And I remember seeing some people chasing us with knives on 8th Avenue in front of the place. And the building was always, you had to make sure everything was locked, you know, which was, you know, standard operating procedure in general, but it was like the building was funky, you know. The neighborhood, once again, I would just, I mean, I grew up in Jersey City, not in a, a rough area, but I was going into Manhattan since I was an early, you know, a teenager, young, teen, 13, 14, I don't know. And I go to the village, uh, you know, I uh, don't really remember having to go, going uptown for much of anything, you know, you know, but the village to just, uh, to, to drink at bars that would let me drink at 15, you know, and, yeah. or to go to the Fillmore or to go to the Palladium. I think that was another big, uh, uh, big club like rock club. I mean, the, I think that the palladium in the past was like a big salsa place, like Latin bands, but there's a lot of rock concerts on 14th street. I think. Did you ever go to Max's Max's Kansas city? I went to Max's once and I saw the Ramones, mm. yeah. which I don't remember who else is on the bill, but all I remember is like count offs. Exactly. <laughs> Every song. He would count off those songs in one tempo, and then the, the song oh. would be in a completely different oh. tempo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 1977, Godspell. <laughs> yes. You're in, you're in the middle of the, the forefront of new theater, and, and things are changing. Yeah. Yep. People are like, what the hell is this hair shit and Godspell? And ah, let's go back to and Annie and, and uh, American in Paris and but you probably did all that stuff. Anyway. <laughs> no, I didn't. I never did any. I never did American. I never did well, a lot of classic. Did yeah. Warren did it. Warren. Listen, Warren, Marchica. Uh, uh, there's a lot of, I, I mean, Nick Dorado is like older than I am, but he was like in there at that time too, playing, you know, a lot of shows. There's a lot of guys. I mean, we, we are, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to, you know, to have, you know, I look back and it's like, holy shit, man. Well, well, you know, I'm still alive. And number two, I've done all this stuff. It's like, it's pretty amazing that you've had a career since 1977 doing shows and, you know, it's (laughs) testament to your, your ability and your, 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 you know, the gifts that you bring (laughs) to the community, but just seriously, your, your talent and, and, Obviously, you you know what you're doing, and you've you've you're very experienced doing it. And to maintain a career doing this, it's not easy at all. And you keep getting calls, which is pretty amazing. So you got the Godspell thing, you and that ran for a year and a half, correct? Approximately, yeah. I I I I don't remember it precisely. Did you go right into another show right after that? No, I I started subbing. I subbed for uh, I, I subbed at Barnum. A show called Barnum, which John Redsecker, who you know, you know of. So I subbed there. I, I don't remember if I subbed at anything else at that time. I, I, I mean, I guess I was working en- enough where I was like, I, I don't think I was living home. I think I was splitting an apartment with a guy 
And Paul Gemignani calls me up. Now, this is this is right before Evita is opening on Broadway. And I've been looking at Evita commercials, you know, for months. You know, they they were like, you know, pushing, you know, Patty Lapone or Elaine Page, whoever did the London thing, you know. So he says, they're having a little trouble with the at at at, at the with the band, with the drummer. Uh, and said, one this is like a Friday. Can you go down tomorrow to the Broadway theater? They're going to do a rehearsal in the in the uh, morning, and then they're doing the zitz probe in the afternoon. And he said, and just talk to the conductor, and you know, just you. I can't promise you the gig, but just talk to him and tell him what you've done. And so I'm like, okay. You know, I was young, foolish. I said, fine. I'm playing a job by Newark Airport that night till like three o'clock in the morning. I get home about four. Now I looked kind of like someone from the one of the San Francisco bands or Grateful Dead. I had this. This was brown or black. This was darker, <laughs> and I looked like Jesus. I mean, my hair was like you know I. So I go there around 9.30 and I see this guy really bald. He's got a few medallions, shirt is open like that. Very stylish, you know, dress pants, lovely Italian loafers. And he's setting up stands and it's like, and his name is Rene Wigert. This is the conductor. And I introduced him. So, oh yeah, Paul told me about it. Why don't you just go sit over there and, you know, we'll talk at lunch. I was like, okay. The drummer comes in. And immediately he's he's got two floor tom toms, and I'm saying, "Wow, you know what limited experience I've had on Broadway? That's weird. You know, I haven't seen two floor tom toms." Yeah, well, he didn't need them. That was his drum set. And now, Evita is like, "Stop, start, new tempo, this tempo, this meter, this blah blah." blah. So they are. Yeah, you know, I don't have the music in front of me, but I'm listening, and they're stopping every couple of minutes because of him. And I could tell that. And so I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on at that point. So I go out to lunch with Renee and uh, Andy Schwartz, who uh, the, uh, he's one of the union officials. He's been a union official uh, for quite a while. And a guitar, he's one guitar and Steve Usher, they had two guitars at the show. And I mean, I wasn't like, Renee, I really want to do this. And I've done this. I've done. I just, you know, told him what I've done. You know, I, I mean, I did Godspell and I've been sobbing. And he said, okay, you got the gig. And I'm like, wow. <laughs> what? <laughs> I, I didn't say what. <laughs> I said, okay. But yes, and thank you. So why don't you come back and listen to a little of the sits, bro, but it can't give you any music to look at and but tomorrow why don't you come here at 10 a.m with your drums because i mean they're definitely firing the guy that afternoon but he had to play the zits pro because there was no drum you know and thank god they didn't say go in and sight read it you know you're the drummer oh really go in and sight read it you might right. as well you know so i said you know thank you for small favors so I couldn't get the music. I've got the gig. I've got another nine to three at a bar at Newark Airport that night. So so I leave. The Zitz probe is just like I'm listening to like a few minutes and it's like, I, I don't need to listen to this. This isn't helping me at all. You know, listening. I go to Colony, the music store that used to be on 49th and, and I buy the British Evita. The only album out. And I listened to it about a dozen times before I go to my 9 p.m. gig. And 16-year-old Simon Phillips is the drummer on the album. And I'm listening and I'm saying, oh, shit. Now, I don't have the music. I'm just listening to it. And it's making sense. But I don't have the music in front of me. And it's like, oh, I listen to it a lot. I do my gig, pack up my drums, leave my drums in the car, you know, which in Jersey City was a 
you know, was a, an iffy proposition. Like, what did I bring him in? I don't know. It doesn't matter. I get there in the morning. I set him up. It's me and the piano player and Renee, you know, as this close conducting me. Hmm. And I'm sight, I'm sight reading the music. I guess I didn't fuck up. You know, I guess I got through it, you know, which was a thousand percent improvement over the performance that they had dealt with. The orchestra comes in. I, I'm in the pit that afternoon. We're doing a sound check, a minimal sound check. I mean, it wasn't crazy back then. Monday is there's a rehearsal in the afternoon and we opened Monday night. <laughs> you know, I, I, I mean, it was it it, it 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 just goes to show you. I mean, back then, I, I know, was it Warren or someone said, you know, you'd go see a show and you'd come and play it the next day, you know, back then with the music, you know, and, and that's basically what happened here. You know, it's like, I didn't even see the guy play the show. You know, I, I, I just like, here's the music. I'm going to just like try to keep my place and play the groove, you know, even if the groove is not clear. I mean, I, I don't know if I read it 100 percent accurately but i mean i kept my place and when he needed to move somewhere i moved with him that's renee wigger renee was doing it. now paul was the contractor the outside contractor you know he was like uh, uh you know like red press or john miller or or mike keller mm -hmm. so he comes in after a year to take over and then a while after that Merrily we roll along is coming in. And he asked me to leave to go do that. I go do that. It opens and closes. I mean, now it's a it's it's a semi-classic, I guess. One of his shows that people say wasn't, you know, uh, it was more of a gem than it than it was at the time, or it was more understood now, whatever, you know. I don't know. The music was was good and the band was great. The band was great. And that closes. I'm back at subbing. Renee calls me up. Now, this is just, I mean, these are just these connections, mm -hmm. Clayton. It's like, it's nothing different from now, but this is like my, my connections. So Renee calls me up and says, hey, I'm doing uh, uh, two weeks of a show called Red Hot and Cold, which, you know, was the Cole Porter musical at the Michael Bennett studio, which was 890 Broadway. That used to be Michael Bennett used to either own that building or you know, uh, I'm not exactly sure what the business aspect of it was, but there was a theater in the first floor. Two pianos, bass and drums. And Renee, Renee's playing one piano, and I don't remember the name of the other pianist. But they were having a jolly old time. It was great. It was fun. Bass player was a guy named Harry Max, who I hadn't seen for 50, you know, back then. And I'm uh, playing drums. Uh, Renee says, Paul, I'd like to introduce you to the musical director, uh, Stanley Lebowski. So, hi, Paul. Hi, Stanley. Nice to meet you. We shake hands. Never see him again for those two weeks. I mean, I guess he would dance dealing with the cast. And Renee was, you know, th those guys had it under control. Let's put it that way. You know, there wasn't any micromanaging. So I don't remember. We were doing a call Porter tunes. And I guess even at, you know, I was late 20s, I guess I figured out what to play not i mean i wasn't like a a stylist of playing that music i mean i just i don't know i played it well enough got through it i guess it swung up to a point or as much as broadway can swing or whatever you know uh so i finished that great thank you bye-bye here's the checks great don't remember what I'm doing for a while. I can't remember back then exactly, you know, day to day. Didn't have a show. I knew that. Mel Rodman calls me up. I get a phone call. Now, Mel Rodman was a pretty, you know, he was, you know, the John Miller or the Mike Keller of his day. He was contracted. So he calls me up. And I'll, I'll never forget. It's like, hi, Paul, this is Mel Rodman. I don't know you, but Stanley Lebowski asked me to call you for cats who I met. Hi, Stanley. Hello, Paul. And I played for two weeks. That goes back to like, you never know who's going to be listening to you.
I got, I worked for seven years because of those two weeks. Stay tuned for part two of my interview with Paul Pizzuti. Don't forget to head over to the Broadway Drumming One-on-One YouTube page. There you'll find unedited conversations I've had with all of your favorite Broadway drummers. On the YouTube page, you're going to find bonus content that I don't feature on my Instagram page or here on the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and click on that little bell at the top so that you'll be notified when a new video is uploaded. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for more.